0: Don't talk, just listen. the new emptiness cassandra and her fellow survivors pushed into the forest of black trees so recently grown to replace the midnight desert the first day's going was slow on account of all the weeping the second day's going was only somewhat faster thick black clouds rolled overhead and vented downpours of gray rain for hours at a time The survivors pressed beneath branches for a time, but soon Cassandra rallied them to put at least a little distance on that day. The ground was mud and the roots were slick. Bent and weary, the pilgrims carried onward to a destination none could say. The only certainty was the unknown. The sky finally extended a measure of mercy and gave up its onslaught. Spirits climbed as the hours of the day ran out, annual progress seemed to have been made. Even Cassandra seemed somewhat to relax, the tension in her shoulders releasing even that little bit. Fires were lit, and with the smoke also climbed chatter and cheer. Death was everywhere. And yet here they were alive, and was not that something to hold holy. The good cheer lasted until the roar. It came out of the dark as clear and violent as if it was not just the sound, but the thing itself, as if the sound carried with it all the teeth and claw that hearing it suggested. You could not hear a roar like that and help imagining, even for one traitor moment, the mouth out of which it issued, the teeth that shaped its passage. You could not help but think of the roar claiming you, hauling you screaming into the red chambers from whence it came, reducing you until you were no longer you, but meat instead, nothing but meat to be chewed, swallowed, and shit, and then thought of no more ever again. Such thoughts might burn during the brightest day, flooding you suddenly with cold and misery. Already cold, already miserable, the survivors sank deeper into themselves, deep into the places no fire can touch and no hope can rescue. Three more days the survivors trundled through the nightshade forest, Three more nights, the roar of some distant hunger killed whatever killing sense of progress they might have felt. Red-eyed, they could only stagger one step after the other. Knowing that spirits might be lifted if they could all feel that palpable gains were being made, Cassandra sent Terry up on his bat wings to see how far in they had gone and how far it was left to go but Terry returned dazed and had to be quietly escorted away from the main group so he could give his report this forest he said it seems to go on forever I can't find the place we came in I definitely didn't see any way out this place it's forever Mustafa suggested they put a positive spin on the report but Cassandra did not see the point After all, this was it. This was the situation. They would all have to make their own choices as to how to face up to it. The next morning, three bodies were found dangling from three different trees, belts tied tight to three different throats. Time was spared to cut them down, but there were no materials available for digging. The bodies were arranged in a way meant to convey dignity. The unspoken overall was the knowledge that the war would soon be upon these bodies and it would not spare a second's thought to dignity. Its only concern would be the meat. Once more the gray rain fell, but no effort was made to hide away from it this time. It pelted faces and rolled down backs and collected between toes. Numb, the survivors slouched on. That night, no one flinched from the roar, although it had never sounded closer. So what? Cassandra knew the group needed some kind of victory, just to instill some reminder that a victory was still possible. She had half a mind to take a torch and her sickle blade and march out into the wild with a vow to not return until she carried this monster's head on the end of a stick. But as a leader, it would not really do for her to storm out on the group during such a bleak moment. The more the days piled up, the more the waiting seemed worse than anything. Let the roar come down upon them and end it all in blood and screams. Better that than this endless black and gray purgatory. Better that certainty than this doubt. Let it come, went silent murmurs through a hundred weary hearts. Just let it come. Sentries sat up each night, armed with whatever sharp or spiked objects came to hand. Cassandra made a point of thanking each one for volunteering to this task. Such acknowledgments are needed from those who lead, she knew. Mac was not offended that she did not remember him. It had been years since that night on sentry duty when she had saved him from some winged fiends. He imagined that one blood-covered boy pulled out the jaws of monsters looked much the same as all the others. And there were so many others. There were more stories about the lives Cassandra had saved than there were trees in this blasted forest. But Mac would never, could never, forget her. He still wore the long scar across his skull. As a reminder of the fate he would have faced were it not for her sickle blade. Every painful, limping step he took was its own reminder of how fragile this life truly was. Mac climbed a tree so he might have better vantage of the surrounding area. His bad leg wailed in protest, but he shut out the agony and dragged the leg up behind him. He had not stood sentry since that night but all the old instincts came rushing back. There was nothing truly separating him from the past, except, of course, time. But Mac was not sure he believed that time worked the way it was meant to. It had a sense of humor too pronounced to be ignored as mere chance. Branched between his legs, back against the trunk, Mac waited and watched. He hadn't even been trusted with that during the Civil War. He would offered his services over and over, not because he believed in the cause, but because it was expected that all Keeper families would send at least one child to fight. It was a sort of unspoken expectation that gave harsh punishment when not met. Mac tried again and again to offer himself up but the machine would not swallow him his mother grew more nervous with each rejection she remembered life on the streets before max Sentry work earned them what became a permanent spot in the safety of the man mcgray's keep she remembered those roars and the certainty of those teeth they'll send us back she used to cry I know they'll send us back. Mac would reassure her. I'll figure it out. I will figure it out. Then came the day when Mac returned from spending the night with his boyfriend, Josh. The apartment was empty. And he knew. He just knew. Mac sat in his usual spot on the sofa and waited. Not thinking about anything except this knowledge that he had. Within the hour, his mother walked through the door by herself. She lurched at the sight of him as if he were a ghost in his own home. They stared at each other for a long moment until she blurted, Josh said you two were going to be busy all morning. Mac filed that away he would never speak to the other man again. Holding on to the focus of his rage, he ignored her outburst and said, calmly as he could, where is Emma? The 12 year old's pictures littered the apartment. She was getting to be a terrific artist. She and her brother were currently working their way through a dog-eared copy of Lord of the Rings and Emma was exhausting all sources of white paper as she sketched every character in every location described in the yellow tome. Where is Emma? He repeated. His mother did her level best to keep her own voice calm. She figured it out. It was all set. Emma was going to be just fine. To keep defenses would find a good place for her Within the ranks, and they'll keep her safe, and it it'll be fine, really. Really it would be fine. And besides, Emma had wanted to do it, sort of. She'd only need to be asked a few times, and anyway, did she have to remind him that with him not being able to step up to the plate, if Emma didn't do this, then they would all be kicked out. Is that better, Mac? Is that what you want, Mac? Is that it? She finished by saying, She wasn't scared, honey. I held her hand the entire time. She wasn't scared mac stood up even scarred even broken he was big and he was broad his mother shied away from him as he passed her to the door then at the last she cried mac and put her hand on him he put her into the wall hard enough to raise clouds of dust wet screams followed him down the hall but he did not turn He went to headquarters but they would not let Emma out to see him and they certainly would not let him in to see her. He went to Josh's place and broke a chair over his head. A few massacres later, there was a mass dereliction from the defense. Parents came to reclaim their children and there were no longer the numbers and no longer the pressures to stop them. Mac found Emma and they quit the headquarters together. But she wasn't Emma anymore. Not really. There was blood on her hands. And a fog over her eyes. From his perch in his tree, Max saw something glittering at about his eye level. It was those same fogged over eyes. His sister in the neighboring tree, staring right back at him. Climbing up the second tree was harder and more painful than the first. Emma made no move to help him. What are you doing here? He hissed at his sister. She shrugged. Mac settled onto a branch beside her and panted, sweat thick on his brow and back. The grey rain began to fall in gentle pitters and pats. He asked her, Do you hate me? She did not answer. Mac thought he might take her hate. Might desire it, actually. Better hatred than the bored distaste. Better fire than nothing. And nothing was all she would give him. Then again, Mac could remember the dismay and hurt on their mother's face as brother and sister marked out of the keep, and then out of the sea, falling behind the woman Cassandra. On reflection, that dismay was not better than nothing. Maybe she had continued to hope against hope that her children would find their way back to her. Mac had nodded for her to follow. She had not. Emma had not looked back at all. Did she hate him for abandoning their mother, for abandoning their home? Did she look at that emptiness left behind and see not a disaster avoided, but a destiny aborted? Did she long for oblivion over this? Max said, I didn't hold your hand. Emma watched the forest. Maybe patterned in that madness was a language she actually spoke. I'm not who I was, she said at last. I don't know who I am now. Before Mac could respond in any way, Emma held up one finger. Pointed. A shadow moved on the dark forest floor. Slithered. As the brother and sister watched, a thing made of coils and muscles pulled its body into view. Its scales opened up to reveal a mouth. The mouth cracked open, and then kept on opening. Out of the pink abyss came that roar, the roar that was the inevitable, the inescapable. As the creature finished its cry, twin forked tongues flicked out its inner folds to caress crooked teeth. Mac saw movement out of the corner of his eye and turned to see Emma readying her spear. The creature must have sensed movement as well, for it froze in place and began to sniff the air. "'Don't,' Mac began, but Emma was already gone, already falling.' long hair streaming behind in the arc of her flight. She brought the spear down hard to the back of the creature's head. It shrieked, rearing back and knocking her aside in the same motion. It kept rearing, its coils splitting open to reveal a mass of tentacles. No, Mac now saw a mass of tongues writhing atop the pulsing meat. The tongues lashed out, pink muscle lined with tiny barbs. Emma scooted back and dodged most of the offenders, but a few snared her ankle. Fabric torn, dark blood welled up beneath the constricting muscle, red spilling down pink. A child sob escaped Emma's throat as whip-like strength dragged her towards the creature. Mac fell, spear first. He stabbed fast into the center of the meat. The force of impact carried him and the creature backwards, raised on top of it he twisted the spear with all his might it bled black and screamed as one the tongues lashed around his legs and squeezed Mac cried out all strength gone from his legs he fell back still held by the legs swinging back towards the creature barbs bit through his shirt into the flesh of his back Emma came at a run jagged rock in her fist. She dove into the mess, paying no mind as lashes stole flesh from her arms, her sides, her face. She drove the rock into the meat over and over, each strike punctuated with a scream and a gush of black blood. Give him back, she cried. Her ink-soaked fist struck one final time. The creature gurgled and moaned and then it began to tumble backwards. Matt could not realize that the fighting had brought them to the edge of a hill. Indeed, it had. And now they were tilting over that edge, the creature, his sister, and him. Clutching and bleeding, they all fell together. wet Max's first thought upon blinking back into awareness was that he was lying in a waterbed an old memory a gold sun memory his second thought was that everything hurt his legs were in so much pain he was almost numb the fire on his back though was blazing. His hands gripped the ground, grabbing, Was that mud? Mac sat up, half expecting his back to remain where it was while he split in two. He could feel streams of blood coursing freely down his upraised body, but found he did not care. Why worry about streams when here was a river? Its water blue, speckled here and there with brown and green stones. Its current pure and steady. And there, a little ways between him and the river, lay Emma. The creature sprawled nearby, flat on its armored back, while its tongues lay limp as tangled seaweed. Mac crawled across the mud to Emma's side his legs dragging behind him. He flopped beside her and took her head into his lap. Blood of red and black masked her. He gathered water in his hands and brought it to her face, her lips. Her lips parted and took water, gave up air. He put his face to her chest and sobbed. Her fingers touched the back of his head. We never finished that book, she murmured. Mac wiped his eyes, his nose. I brought it, he said, just in case. She smiled, and it didn't matter who she was now. She was Emma, and he would love her until he died. And this she now knew. For a time, they rested that way, at peace with the river's gurgling. Then they realized that wasn't the river. The creature rose, tongues desperately lapping at its own coursing black blood. It braced itself on its legs, mouth revealed once more. Once more it sounded its awful, awful roar. The air echoed with that inevitable. Only to be cut by a second roar. The creature and the humans turned towards the river. What stood there was neither human nor animal. She curved like a woman, but her curves were coated in green scales. Mac remembered the stories about the sewer god, Old King Croc. Stories of people, children, adopted into his care and keeping, reshaped by him. The creature turned towards the challenger and bellowed defiance. The scaled woman's tail flicked. The river surface exploded brown and green rocks rising up to reveal more scaled bodies surging forward the horde piled onto the creature snapping off its tongues in their teeth slurping them down like red noodles then they set upon the meat the creature's mouth formed the music of agony the scaled horde dragged the carcass into the water and began to float it down the river Back to whatever nest their brethren waited. Their queen gave Mac and Emma a toothy grin and then disappeared into the river. The stolen, or rescued, children of the outliers, taken by the various gods of the city for safekeeping while the war waged in the city's walls. Only for the gods to fall. In their own war so now we're all back Mac thought all us survivors of this world mutated by it Emma stood she pulled Mac up embraced him against herself with her as their strength they began to make their way back to the others there was much Hi everyone! Thank you for listening to another episode of Blacks and Dispatches, part of the Cinepunks Podcast Network. I'm Brandon Foley, and I write, produce, and perform the show. Uh, Blacks and Dispatches, like I said, is part of the Cinepunks Podcast Network, which has tons of great podcasts and tons of great writing to be found at the Cinepunks website. So please go over there and check out all the cool things we have to offer. Uh, you will not be disappointed. Uh, if you enjoy the show, if you enjoy all the program we have at Cinepunks, uh, please support our Patreon. Uh, it's a huge, huge help. Uh, And it really does, you know, help us be able to keep making these shows and keep up the writing and all that kind of stuff. Uh, All Cinepunks programming is sponsored by Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. So please hit them up for all of your clothing needs. Uh, They have so many cool outfits, so many cool designs. uh, So definitely, definitely check them out. Use their services. And like I said, they help make sure that they help keep uh, the lights on here at Cinepunks. Uh, please rate and review the show. Uh, please help spread the word. Uh, it's always, always really, really appreciate when positive reviews are left. Uh, so yeah, if you can do that, I really, really appreciate it. Uh, as always, the winter... The, yeah. <laughs> as always, the music is Winter by E.L. Heath and Black Sun Dispatch logo was designed by Jennifer Rogers. That's it for this month's episode. Uh, like I said, thank you guys for listening. We'll be back in end September with another new one. Uh, things are really cooking along, and I can't wait for us all to discover where things go from here. We'll find it together. Uh, thanks, everybody. Be excellent to each other. How we going? Bye bye.